This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter. Visit enterpriseinspace.org. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. Golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Ken Tripp. And I am Zach Moore. And while I may be a host of Standard Orbit, Trek FM's original series podcast, I am truly a child of the next generation. I was born in 1987, and growing up, TNG was my Trek, and in many ways, it still is. And, uh, you know, the first two seasons of The Next Generation, they get a bad rap, and they're often criticized for being like a, you know, an extension of TOS or 1960s TV in the 1980s. And, you know, we're not here today to debate the accuracy of those criticisms or even, you know, if they're good or bad. But what I think we can all agree on is there are certain episodes of early TNG that feel more at home on Kirk's Enterprise than Picard's. I think over time, Zach, you're definitely right, especially when we look back at these episodes, just the way they were filmed, the way they were interacting with each other, the basic premise of these, I think they would have been great TOS episodes. I think this is a great concept that you've stumbled upon here. Yeah, you know, uh, rewatching, you know, uh, there's been a lot of rewatching of all Star Trek, you know, this year for the 50th anniversary. So, you you know, you're watching all this stuff all together and they're celebrating all the series. So your mind starts to go places with certain things and uh, you know, this is just an idea I had because I love TNG, I love TOS, and you know, why, why not combine them, right? Because you know, the, the TOS was cut short. Obviously, it's supposed to be a five-year mission, uh, like a three years. You've seen you know, animated series, fan series, all the novels, comic books, all these extensions of people trying to attempt to continue and finish the five-year mission. So, what we've done here in today's episodes, we've picked a few episodes from TNG's first season that we feel, with just a few uses of the word replacement tool, could have easily been a part of year four of the five-year mission now you know this is this is maybe a, a little series we might do you know if you guys respond well to it we'll see uh we think it's a fun topic of conversation you know so so we, we've picked here just a handful of what we think best represent what could be easily translated from tng to tos here yeah and you know what this is what i think that what broadenberry was trying to do when he created the next generation if you remember at the time zach the movies were getting more and more popular. It came out right after Star Trek IV. And Roddenberry had less and less to do with the movies. And then he comes back and he creates a new t- television show. He, he boosts it up 80 years into the future. But you're right. There's so much of a feel to TOS in these in this in the show. It's incredible, including I think in many aspects, even the sets that they used. Right? It really felt like you were you were back in the original series. So. Hey, I'm, I'm ready to go down this path with you. Let's have some fun talking it out. All right, well, let's get into it, Ken. So uh, I think it's it, probably the most obvious one of all these would be the second episode of the entire series, The Naked Now. Uh, it was actually written by John D.F. Black, who had written The Naked Time back in the day. And the, uh, in the original series, they'd actually, you know, The Naked Time was a very popular episode. People responded well to it. People enjoyed it. So there was actually discussion of doing a, a sequel episode to the naked time back on the original series and they didn't do it and i'm glad they didn't because i don't know how (laughs) to be honest i don't know how they could have done it with that same crew although here we are talking about saying it would easily fit because i mean that that's what that concept became they always thought oh we can revisit this concept it's a cool one let's do it again and it actually does work better on tng than it would have in tos but if you think about it if you just i guess you would have to change a few things like uh, they would have to obviously be aware of what happened to them (laughs) you know, three years ago (laughs) instead of, you know, uh, what happened to some other enterprise 80 years ago. Although I will say just as an aside, you know, there was, there was a, a rule 
from Roddenberry that came down. Like, or, or several rules about like what not to use. We're not going to talk about Vulcans. We're not going to mention original series characters. I know Irish Stephen Bear has talked about in interviews how it was just a it was just a real fight to get them to let Picard say the word Spock in the episode Sarek. Like, it's just the most absurd things, right? But here we are in the second episode of The Next Generation, and they're going through the files, and they're like, oh, yes, uh, Enterprise, James T. Kirk commanding. Yes, something happened similar to him. I'm like, this is the second episode, guys. Stick with your rules. But <laughs> but this this episode really could have worked because uh, it's it's not uh, the same thing as the Psi 2000 virus where the planet is collapsing on itself. They're, they're, it's, a, it's a star that's going to go, you know, explode. And so that the same gravitation shifts or what do it so perhaps you know being in a different environment on the original series they could have gotten away with that's why they didn't know immediately what was going on uh and then you know they would have to because it's it's tough because beat for beat it is very similar the naked now is very similar to the naked time i mean you have wesley in the riley role where he locks himself in engineering and starts you know making announcements on the ship and that kind of thing uh, and then you have, you know, typically reserved characters like Spock or Data just you know, losing emotional control. Data's obviously played more for laughs. Spock's played a lot more seriously. Uh, you know, Riker is a lot like Kirk where he gets infected, but for some reason he just keeps it together the whole time. I guess he's just, you know, if we're going to use the alcohol analogy that they use in the episodes, I guess Riker and Kirk are just, you know, they have a high tolerance. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so, I mean, what, what, what do you think? What, what, what do you think how this episode, a sequel episode to The Naked Time would translate? Uh, in a later it season, would have, it, yeah, they they could have they could have done it definitely. I think it probably wouldn't have been heralded much because I think they was they would have been looked at it stealing from an original concept and then just tweaking it a little bit to make it harder. So the the cure or the antidote, whatever word you want to use that, that Bones created, obviously would would have to go in a, in another direction. And it would have been interesting, just like they did in this episode, to see. Hey, we've got this, and then they were shocked to find that it didn't work. So they just had to rechemical. <laughs> I guess they had to put more chemicals. They had to come, you know. It, it it still had kind of that that quick ending. The one thing, though, I think that was different between the two shows. They could have done this one more of a comedy in the original series, whereas the first one, there were some funny scenes, no doubt, but it was a very serious, uh, I thought, episode, and it was the episode that really changed everything for Mr. Spock because of how that was played and how he was played. And it was so intense. And, uh, and I remember reading in I am Spock in, in Leonard Nimoy's book that the amount of fan mail that he received after that episode shifted dramatically, right? Just because of that. So it, it was a real impact show. This could have been a show that came in after something, you know, really heavy and they were looking for a little levity uh, to kind of go back in that direction and maybe explore it a little bit more if they had done it maybe in season two or three because Chekhov could have been involved and, you know, opened it up a little and uh, and, and see where it went. But, yeah, they, they, they definitely could have tweaked this a little bit. And because it really was very much a TOS episode by nature, it would have been easy. Yeah, and, you know, the challenge, though, of it on the original series is you have a more limited cast of characters, and they've all been through that again. So you're right, other than a checkoff or, you know, who knows, maybe they would introduce another character in, in the hypothetical season four of the original series. Uh, they could do more things, but uh, maybe do more with Nurse Chapel. You know, of course, Janice Rand is long gone by this point, so uh, bring back uh, Mr. Kyle. I don't know, just any kind of auxiliary character would be great to, to see how they would uh, respond to this kind of disease. And, you know, maybe you could use Chekhov as like an expositionary tool because he wasn't there the first time it happened. So you could use him as like they're explaining to him what happened to, to catch up the viewers, you know, who hadn't seen that first episode from three seasons ago. Because, you know, if this is truly first run TOS, unless you watched a, a re, a, the original broadcast of The Naked Time or a rerun of it in the summer before season two, you would have never, you would have never seen that episode. So they probably would have gotten away with it more as a sequel uh, than they would have, obviously, in TNG. People have been just absorbing these these episodes ad nauseum, you know, from TOS. So it's like ingrained in people's minds and their DNA of, oh yeah, it's the same episode we saw in the original series. Now, uh, one other thing about this episode would be. The original series really didn't do sequel episodes. Like, the only true sequel episode they did was I, Mud to Mud's Women. So it would be a little out of character for TOS to even revisit something like this. But the fact that it was even planned in the first place proves that it could easily be done. So, The Naked Now, there we have it. <laughs> done. Next. So the next episode we have on our list is uh, widely regarded as one of the worst episodes 
of Star Trek The Next Generation, but I feel in the original series context, it would be a much stronger episode and a much less controversial episode. Yes, we're talking about Code of Honor. So if you guys have listened to Mission Log, which we highly recommend, uh, it's a great podcast, part of our Trek FM family, uh, and their episode on Code of Honor, they actually talk about, they, they always do an episode summary, and then they talk about you know, the themes and the messages and if the episodes hold up. That's pretty much the beat for beat of what Mission Log does for every episode of Star Trek. So they went through the summary of Code of Honor, and they didn't mention anything about the aesthetics, the acting, the directing, the fact that the entire planet they were on was you know African-American. Or I guess they wouldn't be African-American, but of darker complexion, let's say that. Um, and if you remove all that stuff, all the stuff that people find just ridiculous, and it truly is, unfortunately, um, it's actually a pretty solid story. You know, if you, if, So if you, if you take it out of, of you know, uh, the, the trappings of, of the episode as it is, and, you, and then you put it back in you know, 1969, 1970 from the original series, this kind of episode would have gone a lot further and just, just fit in a lot better. Uh, with the original series, and this would give an opportunity for Uhura to have an actual part, because there really isn't an Uhura episode of the original series, is there, Ken? No, there really isn't. She she has moments here and there, and good lines, and she, you know, Mirror Mirror, I think, is a good one, and there's there's other episodes where she's she's got more, I guess, more visibility, and uh, this this could have been a a, a good episode for her. And I think that you're correct. If they were to change it from who they casted it to a group of aliens, just nondescript or mixed or whatever, it would have been a game changer. And if they had, if if this was a TOS episode and it was a um, a race of oh I don't know, corn, <laughs> you name it, whatever, Klingons even, uh, it it would have played very very differently. And I think I think this the the, the concept of the episode uh, is is decent you know it's one of those things it's like uh do we want to touch the hot stove do we not want to touch the hot stove with this one but i really uh i i really think that this would have this this could have been a tos episode and and i think you're right what mission log really pointed out is if you describe the episode but you don't describe the cast and how it was done it's it's a decent plot um it's 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 also kind of a common plot too so we know it could be something that could be worked but uh, for me I don't know. It, it it's probably one of those episodes where could it have played well? Yeah. Would we wanted to? I don't know. It's a great question. Right. I mean, but it, to me, this is like, and obviously these are the first ones we thought of, and this is just this is Exhibit A of like, yes, this would have been more appropriate for one as an original series episode, and possibly even more successful. And that's what's interesting to me. Is you'll find as we continue to talk through these episodes, a lot of these are the weaker episodes of season one. Now, uh, you know, I actually like a lot of. TNG season one, especially the last stretch of episodes, I think it's very underrated. But let's let's be honest, like th- there are a lot of clunkers here. But I feel like you retool them for the original series, and you can make them work. And you know, another thing about Code of Honor is it actually has a Fred Steiner score. He returned to res- score this episode. This was the only episode of the Next Generation he did return to score, and you can totally hear it. Like you think, like you could just be listening to a- an updated score of an original series. It's very bombastic. You hear the the Star Trek fanfare a lot. Uh, just the escalation, like da 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 da, da you know, when all these things are happening, you can just see <laughs> right. the original series uh, in your head, listening to it. And uh, that soundtrack is available from, uh, I believe, La La Land uh, when they're TNG Volume One uh, CD. So I definitely recommend picking that up because it's just a great, you know, truly classic Trek soundtrack from a classic Trek composer. So just even those elements uh, lend it more towards TOS. And I say Uhura here because she, I mean, she is the main female character. The only other established female character on the ship would be nurse chapel. Right. And I don't really see her getting in this kind of situation. So, uh, and yeah, let's, let's see more Nichelle Nichols, right? I mean, like, as you said, she had moments, but never episodes and maybe, you know, in a, in a hypothetical season four, they might have, you know, expanded the focus of some of the characters because I know uh, Walter Koenig's big deal in season three was he was promised, I think Gene Roddenberry told him himself, like, hey, we got all these plans for Chekhov. He's going to be this episode. He's going to be that episode. I can't wait to get into season three. And then the word came down from NBC, like, yeah, this is going to be your last season. And then Roddenberry kind of jetted and and then all, all the focus for Chekhov just kind of evaporated. And yeah, he got the like, inspector of the gun, but there are episodes that could have been more like for Chekhov, who was, you know, the mm-hmm. new kid on the block. So if he's going to get some episodes, surely Uhura could get some episodes. 
Yeah, why not? Why not? And it would have been nice to see her kick some butt. Too. Yeah, that would have been great. I mean, yeah, I mean, think, I mean, even the the, the blood mm-hmm. combat at the end is very much like a mock time, right? So it's like straight straight out it of is. TOS, man. And you know, I really like this mm-hmm. episode. You know, it's not very good, but I really like I really like those beams that shoot up into space from the arena. There, I don't. They serve no purpose, but I just thought it was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know what? I think the thing is about Star Trek episodes, whether it's TOS, TNG, or any of the other series, you always find something good in them. And I know this has such a, a controversial piece because of its racial overtones, and it, it does not come off well. It wasn't well thought out. Again, I, I usually don't um, assume poor intent, and I don't think it was in this case. I'm sure they had they had good intent in mind that they just didn't execute this well or think it through. But I do believe that if they uh, if this had switched to a TOS or this had been written for TOS, it, it would have been a, a very interesting show, I think, because, you know, it's it's hard, too, because these these episodes were being made in the movie era, so the, TN, the TOS crew was still active, so it would not have been a, uh, it's nothing they could have extended to be a movie. Uh, it could have definitely been a decent episode, like I said, if they had just played around with the casting just a little bit. Uh, just like they wish they probably did for TNG. I'm a, I'm in agreement with you. You you bring up a great subject. Anything that could have seen Nichelle Nichols um, really take off would have been would have been so worth it. Uh, who doesn't love Nichelle? She's awesome. Agreed. So let's move on to another classic from Next Generation season one, The Last Outpost. Now this is of course the infamous episode where we're introduced to the Ferengi, and it, it's very much <laughs> yes we are. <laughs> And it's very much like Arena, if you think about it. You know, you have you have a ship pursuing another ship uh, that, of a race that we've not encountered before, uh, a very powerful unknown alien force immobilizes them, and they, you know, members of the crew are each transported to a planet to uh, see which one is worthy, you know. Uh, so it's very, very TOS. And, uh, of course, you know, Arena is one of the best episodes of Star Trek period the entire franchise so in no way am i trying to equate the two but in conceptually i think they're very similar and they probably and look this is early tng again they're they're probably mining old tos stuff that worked for material that's why you see so much overlap between early tng and you know tos so i can see what i did and the whole concept of like the takan empire and portal i mean that is straight out of tos they run into these these you know giants empires and 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 sophisticated aliens throughout the whole show you know you got the first federation you got the uh uh the guys from specter of the gun who are they the uh the melcons is that their names something like that i don't remember the specter of the gun <laughs> aliens. i remember these being the metrons, the metrons, from, the metrons arena. from arena true ah but yeah. melcots i don't know it's very the, the floating heads <laughs> the floating head you guys know exactly what i'm talking about so those there'll be guys. there'll be plenty of responses yeah, well, on please, the yeah, yeah, exactly. to help us get it you right. guys will correct Thank us you. i'm sure <laughs> So, um, <laughs> you know, even the even the big head of uh, Portal at the end kind of looks like a Thasian from uh, Charlie X. So it there does. you go. There I got some mm-hmm. of my geek cred back there with that with that reference. You're in the game. You're back, <laughs> back in the game. Back. So that is such a TOS concept to to just uncover this ancient technology and you know, uh, but of course here as as we all know, uh, the execution once it, you know much like Code of Honor, the execution here with the Ferengi was so poorly done it fell so flat now these these guys are supposed to be the klingons of the next generation you know i mean they were supposed to be the new bad guy and what an epic fail huh ken it was i don't i don't know what happened here they wound up being great characters going further on into tng and especially deep space nine but i still remember in 1986 i think it was i was at a convention in boston uh star trek 4 had been out but all the hype was of Star Trek The Next Generation. I don't even know if it was called that back at that point, but I remember here it comes, and they they had a slide projector. Yes, this is how long ago it was, uh, where they had kind of these, these, um, these frame shots from the set, and they were not purposely going to show us the Ferengi, but just to what you described. This was going to be the new menace of the Federation. This was going to be the arch... <laughs> I don't know what happened. I, I just remember watching this episode and was like, "Really, <laughs> this is it?" Um, they 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 fell horribly short. Unfortunately, no pun intended for, <laughs> for the little Frangus. 
So, you know, it, it, it wasn't just inspired by Arena. I think it was it was ripped right off the page. Well, you could, you could put so, it that way. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I just, well, I, it, it really was how they, introduced, how they introduced the Ferengi, the plot, and where, you know, humans have evolved to was just the same as where Kirk was with the Metrons and allowing them to live and, and being the, the, the better people, right? And, uh, you know, and, and I understand, too, back then, too, this was the Ronald Reagan era whatnot, and, um, you know, this is the Ferengi where the, you know, the, uh, the capitalists and the bad guys and money and profit, and so it had its own little, you know, 1980s jibe there, but that, that's okay. I, I think that this this was already played very effectively and much better in the original series, and it's it's a shame that they couldn't just do a little bit more with those uh, Ferengi. Although, as you point out in the notes, those energy whips were were. Yeah, I really wish if, if you're going to keep one thing from this episode, if you transfer it back to TOS, keep the energy whips, okay? Right? Because those are cool, and we never see them again. I mean, we see them in Enterprise, but. You know that that episode itself is a, a front to continuity, but that's that's a topic for another time. Uh, well, it was, but remember, Indiana Jones was very popular <laughs> in that time frame. He really was. So they, they you know, I, I don't remember seeing a bullwhip being used in anything until the Indiana Jones franchise started. Again. Well, yeah, you know, uh, we were talking about in our starship discussion, right? That uh, it's it's cool that the different alien races have different kinds of weapons for their ships, right? I mean, we have phasers, the Klingons have disruptors, the Romulans have their plasma weapon, the Tholians have their web. I liked how that continued on, once again, conceptually, not so much execution-wise, but the Ferengi had their, you know, energy whip. So, you know, I don't know, call them the Ferengi, call them whatever, right? They, they, if, you, if you put this in Season 4 of the original series, it needs to be a new alien that we haven't encountered before, and then we actually have to build a ship model, that might be a little more challenging... <laughs> You know, because, I mean, the ship is such a big deal. Of course, in Arena, we never even see the Gorn ship. I know when they redid uh, Arena for Star Trek Remastered, they made a very, 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 very small Gorn ship that you can't even really visibly discern. I was going to say, I don't remember seeing it in, in any kind of shape or form. When they came out with the episode, they were talking about how, like, if you look on the view screen, we made this very small, you know, the Gorn model, and it was like an angular ship, and it was probably based off something from one of the video games with the Gorn and all that. Because, you know, back in the original series, they actually used the distance of space to their advantage, because ships are not going to naturally be, like, 100 feet apart from each other as, you know, so perfectly framed for television as they are in later in later Star Trek shows. But be that as it may, it's a big deal when, like, the, they see the freaking ship, it kind of turns around at them and that kind of thing. And they, they would need to replicate that, at least, uh, you know, the, the build-up, the suspense. And then hopefully the reveal of the aliens would actually pay off. Uh, you know, in early TNG, Picard was, you know, he stayed on the ship. And Riker was, let's face it, Riker was, you know, Kirk 2.0, right? He was the man of action, the romance, the swashbuckling guy. So he would go down and do all the Kirk stuff. Uh, so the, you got to think in these episodes, okay, I don't think Kirk is going to stay on the ship. He's probably going to go down there. So he's going to be down there with, you know, the, the, the regulars, right? With, with Spock and McCoy, Chekhov, and Uhura, if you want to throw in the whole um, thing with, like, oh, the, the female <laughs> saves them, and the Ferengi are like, you know, oh, you allowed them to right. wear clothing. I don't know. That, that's crazy how this one line in this ridiculous episode became such a, like, a staple of Ferengi culture. But, you know, they embraced it, and they made <laughs> good on them for, for sticking with them, right? all the time with these shows. Um, yeah. So yeah. I don't know if they want to make the aliens that in the same kind of alien, but the concept of, you know, a misunderstood rivalry between species uh that gets resolved by their encounter with a powerful alien force you know uh yeah you're right it's a complete arena ripoff but <laughs> uh but I, they, they could have so, done yeah, it because they would they could have so the, the answer is yes yeah, they, they could have pulled it. it off just fine yeah. and I, you know i think you know we've seen lots of episodes where scotty's in charge of the enterprise so i think scott in this and you know if you're going to translate this to original series i think scotty would be left on the enterprise uh you know, as they have to shut down power left and right and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, so, so definitely it would have worked because it worked in Arena. Um, moving on, and, you know, once again, it's a trend here. <laughs> Another episode not very highly regarded, Angel One. All right, and to refresh your memory, this is the one with the planet of the matriarchy, uh, one of the few matriarchal societies we encounter in Star Trek. Now, I don't know, like, this episode itself feels like such a product of the 80s, at least to me, but I do think if you 
you know, translate it back into this point, you know, 1970. And they, you know, cast it a little differently because the, the problem with Angel One was, uh, you know, everybody looks so 80s. I mean, it's <laughs> but two, like the the men of the planet are so like androgynous, you know, like, no, why don't why don't you actually cast like strong, powerful women and then just have normal men instead of like casting normal women and then having like androgynous small men? I, I don't know. Like that's you could I, I guess ultimately. Do you think this would be too "quote unquote" progressive for 1970s television to have like a planet of a of a matriarchy? Ken? No, I don't. And the reason why is there were there were other sci-fi type uh, movies back then, and Amazon women and things along those lines. Now, to you know, to the point where the women were weren't being objectified or any of that stuff. I, I can't say that that wasn't the case because it normally was, but it wasn't that far out of the realm. I think they could have pulled it off. Uh, they, they, they could have cast it uh, similarly and, and, and see how it would have played. Because I think that if you, if you take Riker and you switch that with the Kirk character, it's so oh, easy. Yeah. It's exa- <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's like, r- yeah, right okay. click, word replacement. Done. <laughs> it really is it, it, in, in that aspect, you know, and, and I think that that would have, would have been fine. I think that the struggles um, might have come across with the um, the crew of the the other ship that had been there and the survivors or whatnot that were that were creating the trouble and all that stuff. That that you know that was kind of a, a, a not so favorite episode, but again, it had its it had its places too. You know where you had the the disruption of the prime directive, so to speak, and you know, that, that impact that was going on down there by, by the, uh, the, the other team members, wasn't it like the, the right hand woman was, um, essentially, uh, fell in love. Right. right yeah, yeah. Her, her second, second yeah. in command of the planet. Second uh, what are they? mistress, right. Wasn't that mistress? Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. 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 You, you know, yeah, you start using terms like this and you're kind of wondering what was that show rated? But at any rate, it doesn't matter much. I, I think that the, um, this, this probably could have played the, the costuming and all that stuff would have been very appropriate mm. for, for the original series. Absolutely. If you think about it, you know, because they, they had uh, some, some pretty well, bold, Bill Thesis was still doing the costumes, right? In the first season of next generation. Yeah, so, I mean, there you right. go, right? right? Straight off the, straight off the same uh, assembly line. Mm-hmm. But a, a lot had changed in that timeline, you know, between. Uh, well, see, that, that's the problem though. A lot had changed in the real world, but Star Trek apparently, <laughs> not much had changed you know the, the star trek it's getting up to speed over these first two seasons of next generation you know it, it was it was and and i know i i haven't seen chaos on the bridge but i, I can't wait to but i've, I've read a lot oh, about it's the, a great documentary yeah. the first yeah the first few seasons and, and how nuts everything was. was wacky doodle to quote marty surly it was wacky doodle and and i and that's 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 a great way of putting it so I know they were trying to find their footing and there was so much oversight and uh, it was it was a very oppressive uh, environment to say the least and I know it was difficult so they, they they hey you know nobody hits a home run all the time right out of the gate sometimes it takes a while for these shows to to come around but I do believe to answer the question could they have pulled this off in TOS I believe they could have I really do well it's a good message I mean ultimately I mean we live in this age of I I mean I even uh, hesitate to say it, but this age of feminism, right? But it's like it's yep. it's a warped sense of feminism, where a lot of it is like, oh well, men have been on top for so long. Now we need to tip the scales the other way. It's like, no, no, no. It's equality, right? That's what the Federation and Starfleet has achieved in the twenty fourth century, and that's what this planet is endeavoring to achieve. As I say, at the end, it's not revolution; it's evolution, because you know the the matriarchal society of this planet has have been oppressing the male sex on this planet. So, I mean, that, that they're right. just trying to get equal rights to the same as men and women have, you know, on earth and in the Federation. So it's, it's a, right. it's, it's the correct form of, of gender equality in my opinion. So. Yeah. I think, I think by, by flipping it on its head, like they did in this episode, maybe it was, it was too over the top by making the women, like you said, you know, much bigger and the guys much smaller and all that other stuff. That's, but it, it served its point. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, Sometimes in sci-fi the messages are subtle, and then sometimes you're going, um, "I get it." But he's black on the right, right side. The <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, but okay, see, I, see, I like. And, uh, Let that be your last battle. I think it's one of the best episodes of season three, and I feel like it's very effective, you know, morality play about what's going on in society. And those are the those are the kind of 
weird sci-fi lenses you got to put things through and if they had done it right they'd have to be very careful about it but they had done it right i think this would have been a very successful and progressive episode of the original series so i agree with you i agree with you and, and i like let this be your last battlefield too i just felt that the because when i first saw the episode and i still remember the first time of watching it until they pointed out that you know he was he was right on the left side instead of the right side i didn't know that i you know i couldn't see the difference until that was pointed out and I think that is is more the subtlety of the message, right? And then, of course, it, it makes a lot of sense as the as the show goes on what they were what they were trying to say. And in this case, all I'm saying is by by flipping the genders, making one um, I don't know what the right term is here, but making the women more masculine. It's probably the wrong word, and and forgive me out there. I'm not trying to be, but you know, definitely um, the the stronger, the physically stronger sex in this. I'm saying they, they, they did the same thing. They sent a very direct message that you picked up right from the very beginning. There was there was no subtlety mm-hmm. in this. That's all I meant. And if you're truly going to translate the episode, there is a subplot of a disease on the ship, which just completely unnecessary, really. Uh, but mm-hmm. in the original series, they used Spock being an alien uh, to you know be immune to certain things that the crew would encounter, and he would definitely fill the role of the data character taking control of the ship when all the humans and other aliens said you know uh, succumb to a virus. You know if if they really had to have that subplot, if you're truly going to translate this episode almost beat for beat, and you need to incorporate that, easy uh, to just slide Spock into that role and does what he always does because you know he he has an inner eyelid and he's got you know six cents. He's got all kinds of crazy stuff when they need it. Copper based <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's simple. So. Okay. So, another classic of early TNG, Too mm-hmm. Short a Season. I could definitely see this being an original series episode. I guess more so than anything else is this, and I guess you could say this for a lot of these, they're so generic, they're not specific enough to any specific Star Trek series, and I think that's kind of the key <laughs> to some of what we're talking about as well. Uh, too Short a Season, mm-hmm. right? Star Trek seems to be obsessed with aging and recapturing youth and all all that stuff. And it just, you know, this episode would work in any show. And it just really comes down to execution. Uh, You you could have a a Commodore because, you know, we, you know, back in, before the bad rules, we had the, the bad Commodores. I don't, I don't think we have a catchy name for those can, do we? I don't remember the Commodores being. Well, they were, let's see, we had Matt Decker who was okay. Complicated, but he did try to, you know, throw the enterprise into the planet killer. Uh, we had the yeah. uh, With reason, we had the though. incompetent Commodore, what Stalker from the Deadly Years, was it? Uh, yeah, but he was an admin guy, but he wasn't a bad. Well, there, there, he, um... he, he was in a, he was in a place he was unqualified to be in, right? And and listen, I'm, <laughs> your your point is, I, I understand. I just I just find in TNG a lot of the admirals were just straight up bad, bad characters. Yeah. <laughs> they, were just, they were just straight up like, what's going on with these guys? You know, you had in conspiracy, especially, I mean, they were all right. bad and they were, but they were taken over mm-hmm. bad, right? They, they, they didn't start off being bad, but I guess maybe some of those bugs came, hung around. Well, I see. I see. Yes, maybe so. That would explain a lot of what's going on. <laughs> Can we check the back of these guys next, please? Yeah, that's right. But I think, I think in the, in the original series, they did have admirals. You just didn't meet any of them. And, um, you know that we we've talked about the Commodore rank being what it is, but I, I think for the most part, most of the Commodores uh, meant well, and and or they were just in a circumstance that they were over their heads with. Yeah, and uh, that, that's really yeah, but perhaps but that is an unfair a... uh, stereotype of you know early TOS that people just you know kind of like Kirk being such a womanizer, right? Some of those things you just one of those things you just like, oh yeah, that's the original series, and we if you actually analyze it, it's like actually no, not so much. I mean, there were a bunch of bureaucratic guys like in the Galileo Seven or in a Taste of Armageddon that would like you know interfere with what the ship's trying to do, but no one was an outright villain. That especially not like as you say is in the TNG era where these guys are just blatantly doing bad things. So. <laughs> this was not a good admiral let's put it this way who did something very bad there is a parallel here to private little war right because we have a, a less sophisticated yes. planet and you know a, mm-hmm. a starfleet's in a position to you know arm one side to you know help either even out or end a conflict and that was kind of the uh, admiral jameson that was his objective in this episode now complete aside to our conversation here and i, I would i'm curious if anyone out there is i'm sure people out there have heard this but I'm not sure if it's ever been confirmed. I've, I've seen nothing official about it. 
But I, I've seen, you know, uh, Star Trek lore is uh, this episode for The Next Generation was actually written with Kirk in mind, where Kirk would be the old admiral, and he would be returning to the planet from Private of War, and it would be, you know, 100 years later, and he had to, like, face the consequences of that, and you could de-age him to the point William Shatner was in, you know, 1987, and that way you could have your Kirk Picard crossover. Now, I don't know if that was just some overzealous fan theory that got, you know, popularized on the internet, but I have seen it discussed on, you know, uh, in various corners of the Star Trek fandom, and uh, that would have been very interesting. I mean, and frankly, you know, it wouldn't have been any worse than what they did to Kirk in Generations. <laughs> so <laughs> I can't argue there. It's the, yeah, either way, either one would have been pretty bad. But um, I, I think that this this could have easily been done in the TOS episode very very easily. In fact, like you said, this is a a, a series or or both series have obsessive. Um, uh, you know, topics about aging, where where the you know times the the crew ages or crew members age, and or and, and in this case they they flip it backwards, and it, it would have been a very easy concept to do. And and you know when we think about the next generation, we think about a more diplomatic, uh, evolved federation, and you know things have changed, and there's there's very little conflict, especially in the first few seasons of TNG. So for TOS. If you if you do want to juxtapose and put this plot in there, it would have worked. There was there was no there was no sense of I would say eighty years of evolution in this beyond the original series, meaning that this wasn't a topic that could have been handled eighty years previously with the same results. So I, I think it would have been an, an interesting and ineffective fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's really I mean not much to say about it. It's such more of a generic plot, but I just thought you know as you did, it would have fit fine. So easily yep so moving on to another classic you know i didn't i didn't have these and i didn't intentionally seek out bad next generation episodes but you know it's season one so there are a lot of clunkers and those are the ones you naturally can just you know uh, see yourself rearranging certain aspects of it to to make it better and next up is home soil and this is just a straight up remake of devil in the dark but not as good (laughs) I guess, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. It's a, you know, I'm not, it's not silicon based. It's probably some other fill in the blank element based life form, uh, the micro brain uh, that they discover. You know, they go to a planet and there's miners and they're doing terraforming and something's gone wrong. And uh, that, that seems to be more of a, a TOS thing. You, know, you get these guys working on the edges of space doing things like that. I guess the issue with, with once again, talking about, you know, a lot of these episodes, like, you know, Last Outpost and Arena, they're already so similar to what came before. If you put this home soil in, like, a season four of the original series, are people going to say, you know what, isn't this a lot like the one from a few years ago? But I would say this. I would say if you look at lots of series that have, that run several seasons and have long seasons, you see them repeating their own plots as well, just with different twists. So I don't think it'd be completely out of place for them to be like, you know, you know that one we did with the, the thing with the laid the eggs and Spock did the thing. Can we do that again? You know, <laughs> just a little differently. And they could totally tweak it. Um, there's only, I mean, there's nothing really specific enough to, to TNG here. I guess Data can uh, outmaneuver the, uh, the the drill when it's firing <laughs> lasers at him. But once again, drill, you just yeah. put Spock in there and he has, you know, Vulcan reflexes. Say whatever you want. He can, you know, they can just, you know, insert Vulcan techno babble there. Wow, he could do that. But uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, I think it'd be a pretty straight up, cut and paste job from uh tng to tos i mean there is a bit of a mystery there with like the miners might have a nefarious purpose and much like the the guys on janice uh six or is it janice four for the horda see this, this is very see this is where we get put on the spot we got it we just got exposed i could edit that i could edit that out folks i'm not going to i'm gonna leave it in there and you guys let us know is it janice four or janice six i think it's janice you could six. have just said the horda homeworld but you didn't <laughs> no, just, so now you open put... your door okay <laughs> But those, you know, those guys, they didn't mean harm. They just didn't understand what was going on. Uh, and it's a similar thing here. You know, the, these terraformers, they didn't really mean any harm. But because uh, well, I thought there was some signs that they might have known that there was. Something well, like they it, kind of they did just one. Yeah, scientist, they, right? they left the it, it was a sin of omission. Right. They're like, well, maybe that mm-hmm. uh, they, they weren't quite as meticulous as Carol Marcus with Genesis. Right. Like, oh, just a micro. We can shoot it off. It's fine. You know, <laughs> you know? so there right. were some certain signs of perhaps something. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I do feel perhaps that, uh, in, in the sixties, this could have worked better than in the eighties. Just maybe it just felt like a more tired plot by then. And maybe back then they could have added some, some fresh energy, you know, to, to this, to this plot and on TOS. 
Yeah, they could have. And, and you know, this this plot would have worked fine. And we've seen many times in, in both series where the ship is then put into jeopardy because of whatever they, they pull up. And I think that's the big switch mm-hmm. where the devil in the dark uh, or the Horta or it's 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 children or, or whatever it is. Yes, the Horta alone was a threat to the miners and the mining colony. The ship was mm-hmm. fine. And in this case, it, it gets pulled up there um, to to the Enterprise. And that's probably the, the biggest switch. But it's it's an easy one to to definitely put on uh, the original series. This this could have been straight up, straight up. And I think if they ha- had done something similar to this, it would have been called out as as being lazy uh, in in terms of what they're doing here because we've seen that plot before. In this one, it was a little bit different because the era had changed, the technology was better, uh, you had you know a little bit better effects, so you could play with it a little bit more. Uh, and in this case, you know, the, um, I forget what the object was the called micro-brain. specifically. Microbrain. But it definitely fought back, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it was enough. not as um, understanding as the Horta. Yeah. So. Well, they wanted to make sure that that threat was going to be you know, taken out from, from above. Right. right. <laughs> it was like, you guys aren't coming back. So I, I think it, it was, you know, it, it, they made it a larger scale. And in the 1960s timeline, trying to make this would have been trickier. But, you know, you think about uh, different episodes of TOS, even though they didn't have the best effects or whatever, they, they could have made this. Well, work. yeah, I mean, that, so. that's what was so great about TOS. Like, even they, they really put themselves out there and took a swing at things, mm-hmm. right? They're like, okay, do we need to have parasites flying around and attaching themselves to people's backs. Uh, all right, well, let's, let's try it. Let's see what happens. And, yeah, the Operation Annihilate is not the... Not that it's not going to win any Emmys for special effects, right? But it's it's a really weird alien creature, and it's the same thing with the micro brain. You could easily take that, you know, basically just this this glass, you know, just ball of light or you know something you see mm-hmm. like in a cave or something, right? And the TOS could totally have done that. It's not not at all beyond the uh, the limitations. Could they put some lights around Gertrude. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> 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 oh Gertrude. All right. All right. Well, moving on. Um, to our last episode we'll talk about today is we'll always have Paris. Now, more than any other episode, to me, this is the most TOS of TNG season one. And it, it really, this episode is kind of what got me on this whole kick to, to, to begin with because, uh, I mean, look, go down the list. You have a high concept science fiction with the whole time repeating itself and, you know, pockets of, of space and being affected and the space kind continuum is in jeopardy. Um, we have a crazy scientist who's doing these experiments on like the edge of the galaxy, right? In some hidden secret laboratory. You have an ex-girlfriend of the captain, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yep. that's that is yep. so Kirk, where he would like, oh, this is you know, Doctor blah blah blah. We had we had a fling back in the academy, you know. And this, it's very unPicard <laughs> to just encounter some some woman. Yeah. So this one struck out to me as being TOS because it was so un-TNG. Some of our other episodes, like the last couple, they were so generic, they could easily be slotted into TOS. This one, it just screams TOS to me. It's so un-TNG for this to happen. Uh, for, you know, for Picard in particular, that plot line where he runs into an old flame. They have a, you know, almost kind of rekindle it, but she's married, so it's awkward. And uh, and then also, if you transpond this over to TOS, um, Janice Rand is gone at this point, so there's not like the jealousy factor that Crusher has when this woman comes on the ship. So you could just remove that right. entire factor, which would be great because I felt like that's one of the weaker aspects of the episode. And I know what you're saying out there. Oh, well, the whole title of the episode is "We'll Always Have Paris." They go to the holodeck. That's a huge thing. You can't do that. Oh, au contraire, because au contraire. Au contraire. See, see what I did there? Is that French? I think so. Um, I think so. Mm-hmm. They had the rec room on the animated series, and Roddenberry had planned to have the rec room on TOS, he just didn't really have the technology yet. So I'm just going to say you could transpond them going to Paris on the holodeck to them going to Paris on the rec room. Now, it's not going to be as specific as Picard made it, like he's like, put the year and the time of day and the weather and all that stuff. Unnecessary. I'm sure there is a Paris template. You know, once we have our own rec rooms and holodecks, I'm sure there will be several basic templates, and I'm sure Paris will be one of them. And you could just go into generic future Paris and see, you know, the. I, I always love when Star Trek shows the Earth in the future. It's like normal Earth, and there's like a hover car that's going through the Eiffel Tower or the Golden Gate Bridge, right? That's the shorthand right. for the future. So you see that. 
That's fine. That's taken care of. And then, of course, once again, what have we been talking about? Spock is the data analog. So when data has to go down there and figure out which one is which, you know, Spock can go into some kind of Vulcan meditation and, you know, have, have clarity of vision that is in, in, incapable for the humans that are incapable of having, much like Inspector of the Gun, where he can convince himself that they're in a fantasy, not in reality. He minds melds with everybody to convince them the same thing. That could apply here, where he could, you know, somehow convince himself to see through all the confusing space-time continuum things, go down to the lab at the end, and uh, and save the day. And I'm sure he wouldn't yell, it's me, like Data, which is equally out of character for both of them to do <laughs> to resolve the episode. So that's my take on We'll Always Have Paris. I think this is probably, you could just so easily slide this over the TOS. You know, when you first said that this was the most TOS of TNG, I, was like, I, don't, I don't know if I see that. But you've convinced me. Uh, you, you can think of episode after episode where there's similar plot lines, especially with the, the, the lead female character having a former relationship with not just Kirk, but anyone on the crew, as we saw, you know, in, in Man Trap and others, or uh, or they go down to Corby. or You know, there's there's just, um, that, that, that's a common plot line. I think the very beginning as they go through those time rips, uh, the, the TOS crew, you know, uh, getting banged all around the ship and, and sliding and falling all over things would be a, a good way to start because it would have been very TOS-like. Uh, and then as, as they drive further into um, the, the whole plot line, you know, I think, I, I don't know if it would have been as easy as you say to recreate Paris within the, um, the rec room structure. They could have, though, flipped it to having a, I don't know, a, a French meal with French atmosphere, perhaps, right? With a room decorated like that. You know, it, but the, the connection, you know, with, with Kirk would have been interesting. So if they went to Iowa. That's you know, true. It doesn't have to be Paris, right? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have to be Paris, but it could be something that, that relates to, you know, San Francisco, mm-hmm. something along those lines where, I, where it pulls everything in. And, of course, it, then you won't have that romantic you change, Well, I got it. Not a problem. You change the title. I left my heart in mm-hmm. San Francisco. Done. Problem solved. Beautiful. Man, you are just... Uh, <laughs> I think you should be a creative consultant on Discovery. I, really I am available because... if they need uh, any help. So. No, 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 no. Don't, never play it that way, Zach. Never play it, Zach. You've got tons of offers. That's true. You know, if, you if, if I can make them fit to my busy schedule, we might talk. Yeah, give, give me an email. That's right. I mean, you're, you're, there's a lot of pull here. So, I mean, if you, if you need to talk to Zach, you, you come through me and we'll negotiate <laughs> oh, something. We'll leave our contact information at the end of the episode. Brian Fuller, so you and your guys can, can get in touch with us. So. That's right. That's right. Hey, and I'm only looking for 3%. I'll be a great agent for you, so don't worry about it. But, I, yeah, overall, I, I do agree. I think there's a couple of things you'd, you'd need to tweak, but this is all stuff, again, that we've seen before, just in different elements from different episodes that could all be pulled in together quite easily. And I, th- I think this was a, a very interesting journey that you've taken us on today, Mr. Zach. To the journey. No, wrong <laughs> wrong series to crossover. The there, right? Maybe we'll do a uh, you know Voyager episodes as TOS one of these days. And, yeah, obviously we could – we could obviously transpose lots of episodes from later shows on a TOS, but I think this period of time, this early TNG time is the most appropriate because they, they were like the, the previous season of star Trek before this was TOS season three, right? Uh, no offense to the animated series. It's kind of a different category, but <laughs> it's a little off there, uh, yeah. so, you know, it's just such a, that's the mind space. They were all in all the creatives behind the scenes. I mean, th- th- they were just making star Trek, the way they knew to make Star Trek at the time. And they were getting up to speed throughout the season to update themselves to the 80s. So, Well, you had a lot of the original Star Trek uh, TV series personnel on board for the first first year, year and a half of TNG. So that's why you see a lot of these similar plot lines, I'm sure. And, and even though we had a lot of, of new writers, you had a lot of overseeing uh, from these folks, right? You, you had DC Fontana, you had David Gerald. You, you had a whole group of them, Robert uh, including Ron Berry himself. Yeah, Robert Chessman. All these folks overseeing it. So it's, it, you know, they wanted to make something different. They wanted a little bit of separation, but you had to feel the connection. And if they weren't going to allow a lot of conversations to occur about the old enterprise or the Federation 80 years in the past and so forth and so on, then you do it by that familiarity of the plot lines. You know, these things happening in space again. And makes total sense to me. I, I, I think that in a lot of cases here, they could have executed better. But you know what? It, it was To me, it was a building block. Um, you don't get a lot of shows like the original series that 
started off really, really well. And, you know, just had, other than a few misses here and there, their first two years were just incredible. And even season three, even though it wasn't as good and it gets a lot of, a lot of criticism, it wasn't as bad as people said it was. Just like I don't think TNG's first season was as bad as what people say it is. I just think it pales in comparison to the maturity of the writers that they had as the show progressed. And it just got so much more solid. And you could really identify with them. There was just a lot of trying to figure out who these characters were. And until the actors really felt comfortable with their roles and some of the some of the dynamics started to change, you saw... You know, Picard evolve um, from kind of this, you know, pompous guy to to somebody that you could really relate to. And instead of being over the top on everything, his voice became more subtle and he became much somebody somebody you could really relate to and admire. And, and it's just you saw that transformation in the original series. You felt that level of comfort right from the beginning. And like I said, it's just difficult to capture that that chemistry and where TOS got worse as it went along, TNG got better as it went along. And, you know, and, uh, and you until season seven, yeah. The, yeah, okay, <laughs> but again, you know, they, they, they could have kept going, but it, it gets dilutive not because they were in their seventh series, but they created another show. Right? And that's, when you when, when you start, like, like in anything, when you start pulling the focus off one to, to, to split that and to share that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, as a yeah, on-air analogy would be Arrow. You know, the television show Arrow, which you know, was about the Green Arrow superhero. They brought on Barry Allen, The Flash, in the second season as a guest star to spin him off into his own show. And, you know, that made season three of Arrow with season one of The Flash. Season one of The Flash is amazing. Season three of Arrow, serious drop off from season two because the focus was, you know, a lot of the, the creative minds were over on The Flash. All their attention was, oh, we, we got to make this new show work. We got to make this new show work. And you start taking the existing show for granted a little bit. And yeah, it's, it, I mean, it's, it's just kind of going on cruise control and it's not, you know, pushing the boundaries and excelling as it had been in the past. So yeah, absolutely. Good call. Yeah. So I think, like I said, I think, I think TNG is, is a great, great series. And, and there's, there's some of those episodes of some of my favorite of all time across all of Star Trek. And, and I, and I love it to death. I just, uh, like I said, it, it, it did take a while for it to really find its footing and into um, to really get smooth, but you know there was some really good episodes that, uh, in the first season as well. So it wasn't it wasn't all bad, and you know it was very much like TOS in many aspects too. Even the the sets, the technology, it, it, yes, it had evolved. The ship looked better, the space scenes looked better, the planets looked better. The sets didn't. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but I, I should say when they're on planets and so forth. I was like, man, we really have not evolved as much as we Yeah, thought. so you can see some but, serious chirons in the background. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, hey, you know, it, this this was this was a lot of fun because I like crossing the streams a little bit and, and having fun with both series because I think a lot of people out there, we know this. This is why Trek FM is so popular. You, you know, each show has its own individual podcast or, pod, or podcast, and uh, and, and that's, that's what, what makes this fun is – is being able to pull, I guess, a little bit of, of one into the other and compare and contrast. So this is a great concept episode. I, I enjoyed this. I'll be very curious to see the response that we get on the Babel conference and, and what people think and if they want to see more of this or hear more of this. Excuse yeah, me. I mean, there's more where this came from. So if you guys are interested, we will, we will provide some more uh, transposing of early TNG to TOS. So. You know, Zach, this was a great concept episode. And one of the things that I, I really enjoy working with you on is coming up with concepts and ideas that really help the show develop and expand. And we've been seeing it. We've been seeing numbers like we haven't seen before. We've been getting great feedback. And I think the interactivity that we're, we're having on the, on the Babel conference is wonderful. But we really need as much help as we can get to really expand. We we're enjoying this so much and we're willing to jump into other areas so that we can expand our audience. And it's, it's fun to do. And if you're really enjoying it, man, we could really use your support with, with some reviews out there for the phase three team. That's right, Ken. And I have in my hand an unopened new mint condition, Star Trek, the next generation season one remastered Blu-ray, which we will be giving away to someone who leaves a review on our iTunes page between now and, October 17th, 2016, for all those of you listening in the future, <laughs> and uh, a month from now, so November 17th, 
2016. So we will announce the winner. We randomly select from whoever leaves a iTunes review between now and then for the next month. We randomly select a name from there and announce it the week of Thanksgiving. Uh, and then you'll get yourself a nice little Thanksgiving surprise if you're so inclined to, to, to revisit TNG Season 1 and see what episodes that you feel like could slide easily into the original series. Yeah, and you know, Zach, that's, that's a real nice offer that, that you're making there, a TNG remastered season one, which is which is pretty cool. It's a lot like TOS. But the other thing is, too, is we're not interested in how many stars. We're just interested in the reviews. In fact, I would we, prefer we, bad we, reviews because they're usually a lot more fun to read, right, Ken? Well, speak for yourself, Zach. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't mind bad reviews. I would prefer constructive reviews. What could we do better? Or, it, you know, this this show is, is, is good in this aspect, could improve in that aspect. Or if you really like the show and you want to give us uh, five-star reviews, we're not going to complain with that. But what we really want is participation. And we, we've, gotten, we've gotten a lot. Uh, it, it's difficult, too, because the Standard Orbit page goes back to, you know, two crews ago as well and right up through now. So it's, it's hard to discern that, that we've changed. And that's one of the things that we're working on with our descriptor and with our art as we go forward to really let people know that this, this is a new program. Not that we want to be disassociated with the other crews. We do not because their legacy is more than secure and they've done huge things. What we want to do is expand it, right? And we want to make sure that we're delivering the show you want to hear. That's really what it is. And we're going to keep coming up with these interesting concepts, but we need to know how you feel. We also want to bring in new listeners that we think that we, that we know would really, really like it. So that's, that's our best way is leaving a, a review on iTunes. So, Zach, thanks for your generosity. That's very kind of you to do. Absolutely. We aim to please. And before we go today, a shout-out to our friend and patron, Aaron Harvey, for providing the artwork for this week's episode, the Ferengi ship on the TOS view screen. Thank you very much, Aaron. He is a graphic arts master, so check him out. Uh, and he's also a host of his own show here on the network, Saturday Morning Trek, which we'll be having some crossovers with coming up in weeks ahead. So I'm looking forward to that, the uh, delving into 70s Star Trek. It's, it's the lost era, the truly the lost era of Star Trek, and it's always fun to talk about uh, that kind of stuff with him. The animated series, and Phase 2, and just 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 lots of just un, untapped potential conversation we look forward to having with Aaron in the future. So we love all of Star Trek here on Standard Orbit, but... TNG isn't the only topic we've been talking about here on Trek FM this past week, so here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. We can't forget the best part of this episode, absolutely, hands down, is how tight Spock's pants are in this episode. He has got some epically tight pants. You know, Brendan, I wasn't really paying attention to that, so I'll take your word for it. But he's like, yeah, Brendan, I can't say I noticed that. (laughs) Literary Treks. Because I love the idea that you have all these artifacts that, that that all do something different with time. And how do you prevent them from being used? Saturday Morning Trek. Remember, principal photography hasn't even started yet. So these concept designs are just that. Concepts. If this was 1976, you'd be getting sketches. And disco. Melodic treks. Those are totally like you could clearly tell that they were going for a, a mamas and the papas kind of vibe with the music that they were that they were doing, right? And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So you can find us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can always stream or download the MP3 file from our website at Trek.fm and grab the RSS link as well. If you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit the subscription button. That makes it easier for our listeners to find the show when they search for iTunes. And we love new listeners, so please, please, please subscribe directly to Standard Orbit as well as the Trek FM Master Feed and help us increase our visibility for new listeners. Also, we would ask you to help us out with Patreon. Well, what is Patreon? Well, Patreon is the method that we use to fund the network. So I would encourage you all, if you can, if you can afford it, to go on to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Trek FM and become a patron. And for as little as $15 a month, you can join Trek FM's Patron Roundtable, which is wonderful. I mean, this is how I found my way onto the network. And who knows what could happen to you, right? You, you might find your way. And then if you're kind enough to donate $25 per month or more, uh, you get associate producer credit for the shows of your choice. And that's a big deal. And speaking of that, 
We would like to say thank you always to our associate producers for this show, for Standard Orbit, Renee Roberts, Richard Rutledge, and Aaron Harvey. Thanks so much for all of your support for both Standard Orbit and for Trek FM through Patreon. You can find Renee on Twitter at MRES underscore 1701. Richard, you can find at at RUT8972. And you can find our buddy Aaron Harvey at GeekFilter, all on Twitter. So look them up, follow them, and, uh, and thank you again. And if you'd like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trek.fm slash contact and look into the sidebar on the show page. Or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm. And please leave us a voice message that we can play here on the show. You can hear your own voice on the podcast. Pretty fun. So feel free to do that. And you can also contact us through Twitter at TrekFM or through Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM and the Babel Conference. To find us at the Babel Conference, type The Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at Trek.FM and click Discussion on the menu bar. Babel Conference is a great way for you to connect with fellow listeners and the hosts of the network. So as for me personally, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach, that's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H, and I'm also the host of my own podcast called Always Hold On to Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that young Superman TV show, and we're on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. What about you, Ken? So you can find me as well on the Babel Conference, that's where I like to hang out. It's my favorite spot on Facebook, to be honest with you. It's the safest, funnest, uh, most respectful spot to talk Star Trek on the entire interweb. So look for me there and feel free to also look for me on Facebook at any time and feel free to IM me with questions or, or, or if you just want to hook up and be friends. Or you can, uh, you can get information from me via Twitter. Yes, I am on Twitter now at Boston SCPO. That's Boston Senior Chief Petty Officer SCPO. And I look forward to communicating with you in between these shows and especially when they drop. That's when it's a lot of fun. So we'll talk to you soon. So thanks, everyone, again for listening. And join us next time here on Trek.fm for another episode of Standard Orbit. Standard Orbit.